Good morning again. We are jumping into this new series called Truth in Love. And so I thought we would start off this new series by doing a little true-false quiz. I'm going to give you a couple questions and I'm going to ask you to respond. I'll give you the chance to raise your hand if you think it's true. Raise your hand if you think the statement is false, but you do not get to choose option C. I don't know. So you can either give your best guess or just make it up on the fly. So number one, true or false, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time. If you think that's true, raise your hand. Okay, put your hands down. If you think that's false, raise your hand. Right? That is actually true. That is true. It is the best, actually, by a mile. The, the next closest best-selling book is not even close. So, okay. Next one, the Bible is also the most shoplifted book of all time, ironically. The Bible is the most shoplifted book of all time. Raise your hand if you think that's true. Yep. Raise your hand if you think that's false. Ironically, that is true. The Bible is the most stolen book of all time. You would think it maybe it worked. Maybe they didn't steal a second one. I don't know if that worked. Um, number three, true or false, a kiss lasting uh, one minute can burn up to 100 calories. Raise your hand if you think that's true. A kiss lasting one minute can burn 100 calories. Okay. If you think that's false, raise your hand. Yes, that is false. That is false. Sorry, Stephen. Easy. Um, typically it's what happens after a kiss lasting for a minute that actually burns a hundred calories. Um, God's greatest weight loss plan. All right. Uh, number four, true or false. The Metroplex led the U S in population growth last year. Last year, uh, the Metroplex grew more than any metropolitan area in the U S true. Raise your hand. False. Raise your hand. Yes, that is actually true. Um, and the next wave of growth projected happens to be in Fort Worth. Uh, the next wave of growth is not where it's already reaching max capacity, where the infrastructure already exists, Plano and, and all those areas. The next major wave of growth, the projections for the next five years are amazing for Fort Worth and even the next 10 years, which is why tens of millions of dollars are being spent in northeast Fort Worth on our roads as they are projecting a wave of growth here. One of the reasons that we're doing two services is we're readying ourselves because we want to be able to introduce those people to Jesus Christ. Uh, so that is true. Uh, we did lead the U.S. in population growth. All right. Last one. True or false? Uh, Ezekiel Elliott had better win the Cowboys the Super Bowl after what he pulled. Right. I, I'm not even doing a vote on that one. We're not even going to go there. It's just a little too close to home. So truth in love. And I wish that most of life was that clear, that there was just a clear true and a clear false and that there wasn't so much confusion on so many things. But much of life is more complex than that. Much of life is more complicated than just the simple true or false. And so here's the question for us this morning. As the followers of Jesus, are we primarily called to be men and women of truth or men and women of love? Are we primarily called to be the ones who know the truth, defend the truth, articulate the truth? Or are we supposed to be the people of compassion and the people of warmth and acceptance and the people of love? For instance, when uh, one of your coworkers begins to tell you about um, the fact that they've been going out and getting drunk every night and, and going home with strangers and, and having sex with them, and you know that they're just trying to fill a hurt part of their heart and, and you want to speak out, in that moment, do we choose truth or do we just love them? 
when uh, we have a Christian friend who on social media announces that he's moving in with his girlfriend. And all of the responses to his his information is positive and celebrating them and, and affirming and encouraging them. But you know that's not God's best. You know that that's not God's plan. In that moment, are we people of truth? Or do we respond as people of love? How do we respond when our neighbor that we've worked so hard to build a good relationship with and, and have a good friendship with, but you know the moment is coming because he knows that you're a Christian You know the moment's coming when he's going to ask you what your view is of his openly gay lifestyle. In that moment, do we choose truth or do we choose love? Primarily, are we called to be people of truth or people of love? Or is that the wrong question altogether? Is it possible to be a person of truth and not be a person of love? Is it possible to be a person of love and not be a person of truth? Is there even such a thing? Is this whole conversation a separation that doesn't act, actually exist in the heart of God? And the reason I think this is, this is such a crucial question is we are living in a, in a bizarre time right now for the Christian faith. We're living in a time where we're told that we still have the freedom to believe what we believe, we just better not say it, which means we really don't believe it that much. And, and we live in a time where Christians are, are widely perceived as narrow-minded and judgmental and out of touch with the times. It's almost as though the, the historical view of the Christian faith has a giant target on its back. How do we respond? I believe the Scriptures give us a great foundation to engage in these conversations and the host of others that, quite frankly, aren't just as clear as true and false. So I invite you, please, to grab your Bible. If you don't have one, there's one underneath the seat in front of you today. Uh, I invite you to grab that as we, uh, as is always our tradition, hold up our Bibles and say our creed together before we jump in. The deal is, uh, because there's fewer people in the room, I need you to speak twice as loudly. Right? So let's say this with conviction this morning. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind. And give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, if you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you, it's page 918, 918. Ephesians chapter 4. As we seek to build a foundation for a series that's actually going to guide us for the next couple months We're going to look really at Ephesians 4, verse 15, but to get the context this week, we'll start in verse 11. We'll read verses 11 through 16. And as we read, I want us to look for a three-legged stool to build a stable foundation for our conversation this morning. Beginning in verse 11, speaking of God's gift to the church, he gave apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And here's why he gave them, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And we could spend an entire morning talking there about the role of a leader in the church is not to do the work of the ministry alone while people spectate, but rather to equip for the saints of God to do the work of the ministry. Many of you have stepped up in this two-service transition, and I honor you and celebrate you for doing the work of the ministry. Uh, Our musicians still think I've lost my mind. Thank you for being here at 745 this morning. And he's doing this 
this equipping of the saints, the leaders are, for the building up of the body of Christ. Building up. That's one of the legs of our stool here. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So God is growing up or building up his people towards unity in the faith. That's the other leg of the stool. And then here's the third one. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unity and knowledge is how he's growing us. And then I love this phrase, to mature manhood. All three legs right there. God's maturing us or building us up in truth, knowledge of God, and in love, the unity of the faith. Uh, Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And man, we see that happening among conservative evangelicalism today. And then here's the heart of our text. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. There's all three legs of our stool there. That he's growing us up in truth and in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom... The whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We see these three defining marks here. Here's how I'll say that in a sentence. The unity of truth and love is a defining mark of maturing faith. The unity of truth and love is a defining mark of maturing faith. We're going to look at all three legs of that stool this morning as we lay a foundation for this series that we're moving into. The first one is, as I said, our our, our core text is verse 15. Look back at verse 15 again. Uh, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. And here's here's what I, I want you to hear this morning. God loves us where we are. But he loves us too much to leave us there. And, and we live in a time where the first part of that sentence is being proclaimed really loudly. God loves us where we are. He meets you where you are. Come as you are. And that is a crucial and essential and accurate message that describes the love of God. But it's an incomplete message of the love of God. God is too loving to leave us where we are. He's maturing us. The reason we exist as a ministry is to guide one another towards the life change in Jesus Christ. He loves us and receives us like we are. He just doesn't want to leave us that way. And in our culture today, to accept a person is to affirm where they are in life. None of us are where God desires for us to be in life. Because he has something so much better for us than we could begin to dream of, than we could begin to fathom. And so he's constantly calling us forward to greater freedom and greater hope and greater joy and greater peace and greater victory. And that's only found in conforming to the mind and heart of God. He loves us where we are. But he loves us too much to leave us there. And so he's calling us 
to grow up. I shared the story last week of my brother Mark, and I told you he was my hero and he was my mentor. The summer before my seventh grade year of middle school, which was the summer before his 11th grade year of high school, I got to go to summer camp with him, middle school and high school. We went to camp together, which he was not excited about at all. But I sure was. And there was only one rule for the week. I don't ever want to see you. <laughs> so he told me. And I, I obeyed that rule until about the third day, and I couldn't stand it anymore. So before the, the service, the worship service on that third evening, sure enough, I went over and I was hanging out with his friends. I just wanted to be like him. I wanted to fit in with him. And so I'm sitting there with his older friends, his 11th grade high school friends, and I, and I said a joke. I kind of, I might have cracked on him a little bit. And it was funny, and his friends laughed. And that made him really mad, because, like, he was the point of the joke. And he goes, why don't you just grow up? And I instinctively went, okay, I'm now 17. And that's not that funny, but in the moment it was really funny, which made him really much more madder. (laughs) The fact is it's not that simple. And in the Christian life, it's not that simple either. We don't instantly just become all the fullness of God. It's a growth process. He's constantly maturing us. He's constantly taking us through the successes and the failures of life with the purpose of conforming us to the image of His beloved Son. Not a single thing happens in our life, I believe, by accident. There's purpose. There's mission in it. And the mission is to mature us, to grow us up, To build us up in Christ. God loves us where we are. But he loves us too much to leave us there. And so he's growing us up in, looking back at verse 15 again, in truth. Speaking the truth in love. And I will say this. I believe it's really hard to find truth today amidst all the noise. We live in a really noisy time. Matter of fact, it's so noisy that it's become really difficult to differentiate true from false. We are surrounded by noise. Studies suggest that the average American adult speaks approximately 16,000 words per day. And some of you are like, you haven't met my wife at 16 million. No, 16,000 words per day. If we take the average lifespan of 70 years, which is actually increasing now, but just 70 That's a total of nearly 409 million words. That's a lot of noise. And those aren't just the words we speak. We know that we now live in the digital age, and so there's a lot of other ways to communicate. And I wasn't able to find out how many texts are sent a day. Nobody's done that research yet, it seems. But we do have information that 294 billion emails are sent every day. Further research reveals that approximately 200 billion of those are from a prince in Nigeria who has some money that he really wants to give to you. That has changed even more now in the social media era. Facebook says that they average 55 million status updates every single day. Twitter says that there are an average of 340 million tweets per day. 
That is a lot of information. And if a picture is worth a thousand words, Instagram says there's 95 million pictures or videos uploaded to Instagram every day. There is a lot of noise. And with all that noise, sometimes it's just hard to know it's true. Which reminds me of an awesome scene in the life of Jesus. Jesus is betrayed by Judas. He is arrested. He's taken before a mock trial with the chief priests. And then he eventually appears before the Roman ruler of that region named Pontius Pilate. And Jesus, standing before Pilate, hears Pilate say, So, you're a king. And Jesus responded, You say that I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. And all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And man, Pilate answers or asks a great question that I think applies to our day today. What is truth? What is truth? With all this noise, what is truth? And listen, I'm begging the people of God to hear me this morning. I believe we need to know where to find that answer. Because I believe our truth is being informed by a whole lot of untrue things. And, And so we need to diagnose today, where am I defining truth? Where am I finding the standard of truth? What is truth is answered by where it comes from. So what I would ask this is, is truth determined by our feelings? This is the message of the culture today. Phrases like, follow your heart. Trust your gut. Do what feels right. We live in an age that says truth is based on how you feel. And the problem is, our feelings lie to us, deceive us, and sometimes seek to harm us. And so as we spoke about in the last series, we need to know our feelings, but we lead them, we don't follow them. That makes for a dangerous determination of truth. Is truth defined by my life experiences? Truth is based on whatever path you have followed in life. And that's where you form your truth. And we all have had different paths and different experiences. So we're all discovering our own truth based on how life has happened. Man, this one's huge. It's truth defined by cultural trends. And this is the wave we see, especially in the millennial generation and Gen Z. Truth is based on what seems popular or what is trending today. And so I I don't know what truth is. I have to ask everybody around me to find out what truth is for today. Is truth determined by self-actualization? In the growing community of of mental health today, we're being told that self-actualization is so crucial that we've got to just know ourselves and discover ourselves. And listen, if we find that truth, we will end up lost. So a phrase that's frequently used in secular therapy and even in Christian counseling is, hey, you need to speak your truth. And I think that's a great idea. What is, what is meant by that is a healthy thing, that we need to advocate for ourselves and share how we feel. But I think there's a danger in that, that it, it implies that my truth is somehow different than your truth. Truth is truth regardless of my perspective of it or my understanding of it. Is truth determined by human reasoning? 
We're just going to have a think tank. Listen, we're going to have a meeting. We're all going to get together. We're going to sit around in a circle. We're all going to share some ideas. We're going to drink some, some hipster craft beer or some, some, some coffee, and we're going to just talk, man. And let's just hear each other, and we're going to find our truth. Is truth rather de- determined by the smart people? And I have smart in quotations for a reason. Meaning often in our culture today, if somebody has the right credentials or has taught in the right school, they can say the most illogical, unfactual thing, and it's all of a sudden accepted because they're the smart people and we're just not smart enough to know the difference. Is truth determined by sincerity? And I, I want to I say this lovingly, friends. Listen, you can be sincerely wrong. Just because a person passionately believes something doesn't make it true. Is this where truth is determined or is truth determined by the one who is truth? Is truth determined by God, by the creator of all things? And he has not just defined truth and he is not just the possessor of truth. He has revealed truth. Can truth be known? What is truth? Is it determined? What I believe the truth of God is meant to be for us is our worldview. That the truth of God becomes the lenses through which we look through to view life. That all of our views are submitted to His view and our interpretation of His view. That we possess a deep and abiding biblical worldview. That shapes the way we see life and the way we make decisions. The 2000 Baptist faith and message, which is sort of the doctrinal statement for Southern Baptists, says this. The scriptures are the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. I love that. That the scriptures are the supreme standard. The supreme standard that dictate how we live human conduct by our declarations of faith, our creed, our orthodox theology, and our religious opinions. Meaning the things that aren't necessarily black and white and easily definable in the scriptures, we still are forming our view of those gray issues based on the truth of the scriptures. Is this the standard? If this is not the standard, then we will find ourselves tossed to and fro by the waves and blown by every wind of doctrine, which is what we're seeing today. The Word of God is more accessible than it's ever been in the history of humankind, and yet the people of God don't know truth today. And so when a popular person, when a celebrity preacher says something that is not orthodox, many of us are not informed enough in the truth to know the difference Between truth and error. And the fact is, error always sounds better. (laughs) Almost always does truth sound kinder and more acceptable. Truth is knowable. Truth is revealed. And there's a very, very real enemy who's seeking to stomp out truth in our day. I so believe the revealed truth of God that I actually believe there is a devil Jesus said of him in John 8 that the devil has always hated the truth. That's not different today. Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character. For he's a liar. 
And he's not just a liar. He's the father of lies. He's going around knocking people up with little lie babies. He's propagating lies. That's what he does. He's reproducing himself. He's a liar. Just like there's a source of truth, I believe there's a source of lies. And those lies have consequences. Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. We don't want to know the truth because it's inconvenient. We can't do what we want. If there's a standard of truth, I'm accountable to it. Hear me, people of God. If there's a standard of truth, I'm accountable to it. And who wants to be accountable? I want to do what I want. So I'm going to suppress the truth. Claiming, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Verse 25, they traded the truth about God for a lie. I believe truth is defined by God and is revealed by him through his word. It's knowable. We now have had so many generations of young people educated in a public school system that has taught relativism and subjectivism that we truly believe there is no standard of absolute truth as a culture anymore. And that truth is based on my definition at any given time. It's relative. It moves. It's subjective. It changes. And I believe that is not the mind and heart of our God. Truth exists in the person of God has been revealed through Jesus and declared through his word. And when we hear that, sometimes what it brings up in me is, I'm ready to dig my heels in and defend truth. Let's go to war for truth. But that's not the only thing he's revealing. He's revealing that truth exists inside of love. Back to verse 15 of Ephesians 4. Speaking the truth in love. Where do I find truth? I got to go through love to get there. Mm. For many people who do not believe the truth of God, they've had to get through our truth to find out if anybody loved them. But truth in the mind and heart of God is contained in love. And this love that's mentioned in this text, for those of us who grew up in church, this is agape love, which is the, the most sacrificial form of love used in the scriptures. It is this self-denying, self-sacrificial, I will do whatever it takes to serve you and love you well kind of love. It's not a brazen love. It's not an arrogant love. It's not a let me convince you, change you, or fix you kind of love. It is a how can I lay my life down to love you well kind of love. Matter of fact, that's the theme of all of Ephesians chapter 4 here. We see again and again this idea of unity, that we're laying down self and pride to, to pursue unity. Matter of fact, if we read further in the text, verse 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. 
but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And this could not be more opposite than the noise of our culture today. Take a topic and you'll find 15 positions claiming to be true and everybody's throwing grenades at the other 14. The fact is this, this unloving idea uh, is infecting our culture today. We no longer extend the grace for someone to have a different view than us. This used to be a country built on the freedom to find truth as we believe it has been revealed. And now we are a, a society that says truth is defined by what the public thinks. And if you go against the majority, you're a bigot, you're small-minded, and you're probably a racist. Which is what we're going to talk about next week. The lost concept of religious freedom. Truth exists in love. And, and here's my concern. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Amidst all this, you're a, you're a, amidst all that, right? Here's what breaks my heart. Some of the loudest voices contending for truth are the least loving. God, forgive us. As a matter of fact, some of the loudest voices saying things I agree with are saying in such an unchristlike way I find myself disassociating with truth speakers. I don't want to be in that camp because that's not the heart of God. Your words might be true, but your spirit is so anti-Christ, I can't hear what you're saying. That is not the mind and heart of Jesus. Truth must be found in love 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter, right? Says love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. If we claim to be people of truth and we don't love people, we don't understand Jesus at all. Let me say that again. If we claim to be people of truth and we don't love people, we don't understand Jesus at all. The central truth of all Scripture is that God loves people. If my response to error is to speak truth in a judgmental, condemning, aggressive way, I don't understand truth. If my response in error is to just love, which means I won't speak truth, I don't understand truth. Truth and love must exist together. We can't have one without the other. So think about it this way. Let me use an example that I really love. Peanut M&M's. I've seen some communists, some people who will eat the chocolate off the peanut and then eat the peanut. Y'all need Jesus. The reason the peanut is in the chocolate is because together it's the beautiful palate experience that makes us have heart attacks. And I believe God has designed truth to be contained within love. And there's a skilled enemy who wants to separate the two as though they can exist without the other. So the three legs of our stool here are that God is growing us and maturing us in the knowledge of truth and in compassionate love of Him. But here's where we're going to end this morning. All of this 
all about Jesus. Verse 15, he's not just growing us up into ourselves. He's growing us up into him who is the head, into Christ. It's all about Jesus. When we talk about truth and when we talk about love, ultimately, as the followers of Jesus, we are not all about position. We are not all about a policy. We are not all about a politician. We are not all about a party or a platform. We are all about a person, and his name is Jesus. And just like we can't have truth without love, we can't have Jesus without both. Because he is both truth and he is love. If we're going to be all about him, we have to be about both. Because he is both. John 1.14, I'm almost done. This beautiful chapter that describes the coming of Jesus says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He didn't come full of truth, but He gave a little grace for it. He didn't come full of grace, but He had to share a little bit of truth. He came full of both. He's the living example that truth and love are not a contradiction. Because He fully embodied both. Truth in love. We can't have one without the other because it's all about Jesus. And he's both. Back in April, my wife and I and Neil and Julie Childs had the privilege of going to a biblical worldview conference in Washington, D.C. George Barna was one of the many keynote speakers at that event who's been a statistician for decades uh, to help the church understand the culture at large. George Barnes shared as he was speaking that more than 90% of pastors surveyed said the Bible teaches relevant principles regarding each of these 13 current social and political issues that they tested. 90% saw a list of 13 current issues and said, yes, the Bible teaches relevant principles regarding these topics. However, Less than 12% taught their congregation those principles. Regarding at least 10. And a majority taught on only one. Say, why do you think that is? Look a little bit more research here. Again, the same statistic, 90%, 9 in 10 pastors. Believe it is a major part of their role to help Christians have biblical beliefs about specific social issues. But half of those same pastors said they frequently or occasionally feel limited in their ability to speak out on moral and social issues because we live in a day of offense. When I heard George Barna share these things, I I went to him after the session said, so what were the 13 things? I was going to grade myself. Have we talked about that at Temple? And he said, huh, nobody's ever asked me that. He said, I did this research years ago, and so I don't remember the list. And so we exchanged email addresses and corresponded back and forth. He eventually found the research and sent me the list of 13 things. 
I disagree a little bit that all of the 13 actually are, are necessarily biblical issues that should be taught. And I also feel like he left some really important ones off the list. So in dialoguing back and forth with this brilliant man, I ended up forming my own list of 11. And God willing, for the next 11 weeks, we're going to discuss 11 issues that are guaranteed to offend. (laughs) Through the rubric of truth in love. What is the truth in love regarding religious freedom? Regarding human sexuality and gender? Regarding alcohol consumption? Yep, we're going to talk about it. Regarding recreational marijuana use. Regarding abortion, gun rights, immigration reform. Yep. Regarding racial harmony, pornography, marriage, and socialism. I don't know if you know this. But there's a big segment of the American culture that says Jesus was a socialist. And that view is being assigned to our worldview. And if we do not contend otherwise, socialism socialism is going to be marketed as a Christian worldview. We're going to enter into these topics, but it's really not about the topics. It's about Jesus. And if he has something to say in these things, I think he's worth listening to. And in, I pray, a spirit that will honor him, we will discuss these things in such a loving way it might bother you. Because I pray by God's grace we won't discuss these things with anger and the vitriol that we find on both Fox News and MSNBC. Let's let Jesus speak into this. Which is truth and love. But none of these topics matter much for eternity if you don't know for sure that you know him. If you don't know for sure that you have a personal relationship with him. So this morning, we would ask you to examine, do you know the one who is the truth? Do you know the one who is love? Because we can't have one without the other. We can't have Jesus without love.